If you could scream percussively, that would be pretty so it, good. It's like a scream clap, like a scrap. Scotch. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 179 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, and I'm the avoider of moderation problems. I'm Sam, and I'm recovering from a food coma. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is November Speedy Quicks 2018. <laughs> Speedy Quicks. Yeah. So. That's, that's good. That's November 26th, if you couldn't uh, couldn't re- reverse engineer that one. Before we get started, we have a warning. Anything can happen on this show. There's going to be profanity, and we're going to talk about adult just uh, things that kids probably don't care about or whatever. So uh, this show should not be them. listened to by children. The end. All right. First, most important is this is a prime number episode. Ooh. We hit oh, another yeah. one. Wait, what, what number is it? 179. Hmm. Okay. So I don't. I don't I f- know when I the feel next a little one bit is. like. Did you look this up to, to verify that it's I prime? did? Okay, yeah, because one of those it sounds a little fishy, like it could go either way. It's so yeah. suspiciously. Prime. Well, it's because it's got a nine in there. Yeah. Which you're like, well, that's divisible by three, but seventeen isn't divisible by anything. We're at one seventy, and that's kind of like seventeen. Yeah. Right? Mm, so, it's very confusing. Yeah, prime numbers. I, I assume the next one is one eighty three, but maybe it's not. Are they that close together? I guess it's random, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's randomly distributed. Some primes are far primes. apart. Some primes are pl- close together. You don't know. Hmm. There's no way to know. Uh, so that's just, I think we should all acknowledge. That Congratulations. We made it to another prime. Congratulations, everybody. It's prime day. Uh, we'd also like to thank our recurring supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. People are dropping cash into our money pit. <laughs> <laughs> dropping cash into our money. Someday we will swim into it. Yep. But it is too shallow. Not, right now, we'll break our necks. Yeah, we're not doing anything with it. Uh, no. We're just we're just piling it up. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and there is those like those scenes with Scrooge McDuck diving. Yep. He's got his vault of coins. I feel like this that he that he swims he through, swims in, which sounds very painful. Unless yeah. he's a duck, which means he's actually a liquid. You know, that's true. Because then he could swim through it just fine, even if it's solid. Cats and ducks yeah. are, are liquid, yep. as we know. That is true. Um, so that's that's a thing. Uh, if you'd like to help support the podcast, head on over to moneygrab.bscatch.net, and uh, we appreciate it. Let's get on some studio news. We just got back from break, Thanksgiving break. Uh, so we've we've discussed in the past how on the weekend you become weakened, mm-hmm. and of course during the break you break. Mm-hmm. So- <laughs> you become broken. You be very careful. You get broken. Uh, so how so- did you how did you guys handle it? How was handling? The you know, oh, lack bad. of rigor. So bad. Real bad. I handled it badly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Um, it was – I decided to try to actually take a break. Mm. So I, I was like normally I just work through like everything. Uh, and anytime there's time off for me, that's just like, cool, that's more time to get work done. Well, that's it I guess. Mm-hmm. So it's more yeah. of time over there right. versus time off. And so this time I took – the first couple of days, I was like, I'm just going to read. I'm going to play video games. I'm going to watch some shows, mm. like catch up on various pop culture things. Uh, and the problem is that maybe it's my personality or whatever. But for example, I was like, I'm going to finish reading the Expanse series mm. or at least kind of like work on it. So there's seven books currently. I was in the middle of book five. I started reading it and that was all I could do then. You were just there now. until the I, Because I, no, I have no other obligations for a little while. And I have this project now that I'm working on. And so I essentially just read, I read like 1400 pages in, in two days. Uh, yeah. That's how I normally do my, my sci-fi. So I did that and I was like, I, 
enjoyed it, but I hate this because uh, I'm trapped now and I have to finish this thing. Mm-hmm. And I and I have no I, like there's nothing else to take me away from it. You right. know. So I did that. Uh, I let's see. I uh, played some games, which was good. But eventually, I realized that like my taking a break ended up making me really stressed because there's all these things that I want to get done on level head and stuff. And every day that I wasn't working on it, just kind of like pissed me off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel you. Cause I was like, by the time I get to the end, I'm just imagining how much farther along I could have moved the the game. Mm-hmm. And I didn't. Yeah. So I, I took a legal pad with me, which is sort of my, my weapon of choice against breaks and on the to plane. To keep yourself from breaking. Yeah. So on the plane over, I made a list of like, Thanksgiving goals, and then like here's all the things I'm gonna do. Included on there was play this new Donkey Kong game or the Tropical Freeze. I did Freeze. play the Pokemon game mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, so yeah. play some of these games for research. But again, the framing is all about research. It's not like have a great time. Like no, it's just like play a game for for research purposes. Uh, you know, hang out with family, do that. You know, be really present for that. Um, and then knock out a few of these drawings for my classwork, and then also try to uh, do one of these drawings for one of the, the studio things for Level Head. So that was like my last item. I was sort of trying to use that as a carrot for me because mm. I burned through everything else and I had like two or three hours to spare over this four-day thing. Then I could put some time into that thing that I really wanted to do. How'd that go? It seemed to work pretty well, actually. Nice. I got to it on on a mm. Saturday afternoon. Um, or actually, uh, no, on the, on the plane ride back yesterday was when I got to do it. Oh. So I just squeezed it in right at the right in the last <laughs> couple hours uh, thanks to having a surface. Was it what, three or four hours of in the plane? Yeah. During a tornado. So yeah, there's probably a little bumpy. Very draw. violent ride. Yeah. My uh, my wife was tripping as we were coming in because we were the plane was getting tossed about. It was not there was there were enjoyable. tornado sirens going off in St. Louis as as we were as landing. they were coming yesterday. In. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Not not in your area. It was okay. It our area doesn't our area only gets wind. All other weather like is gone it before just goes it goes <laughs> Yeah. So it we were in the basement because there was tornado sirens and a big ass storm kind of like hit our area and then went northeast toward the airport. Okay. So it went like just mm-hmm. past. Okay, because I think this this like the the city, because I'm I'm pretty close to the center of the city. I think cities just kind of like yeah, they really they're like rebuff. a wedge. Yeah. yeah, they kind of keep things out a little bit. Yeah, and just because so, there's all the cars. It's just making, all that pollution. Heat bubbles. It's that pollution and, the, and all the sound pollution, you know? It's mm-hmm. like all these vibrations shooting the air, you know, knocking so the back of the weather around. The storm is like, I don't want to be no, So many people. Like, <laughs> it's like, it doesn't want to make eye contact with anybody, uh-huh. you know, because that's uncomfortable. Storm's like, oh, gosh. Yeah. That's why they call it the calm before the storm, because storms only go where it's calm. Exactly. You know? And so mm-hmm. if it's a lot of loud noises. Right. So the calm before the storm describes the path that storms take. Yeah. Not uh, sort of your experience. If it gets mm-hmm. calm, uh, it doesn't That's mean how they it, get the you. storm doesn't make it calm. It's like a low pressure system. So it allows the right. storm to move in. Right. You know? yeah. Yeah. And when they talk about a low pressure system, they're again, they're talking about just how, how loud it is. How many people that are pressure there. of, <laughs> you know, people's expectations. Right. How yeah. stressed are people? Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is why, for example, like you never see tornadoes in the Midwest, you know, like yeah. in, and in and rural and areas. And, and have you ever heard of a tornado in Silicon Valley? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Never. Yeah. So they're freaking out all the time. All right. So this, all right. So this is that. Yeah. This the is problem why, is you can get earthquakes once you get too many people though, because it's all that stomping around, you know? Well, it's a different pressure problem. Different yeah. pressure problem. Yeah. Because yeah. now it's just too much weight. Yeah. Now it's a high pressure problem. Yeah. So you got earthquakes if you have high pressure. Yeah. This is all true. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, okay. Adam, how was your, did you get some shit done? What was your break? Uh, I got, did I, you break? I, I also broke mostly. Nice. Uh, I had a list of, of uh, and, and you know it's, it's family time, so as Sam said, like I try to be present. Uh-huh. You know? yeah. Um, 
And uh, but but I also made sure that I that I put in some good time just reading. I picked up Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance because oh, so good. I've heard so much about that book my entire life, and somehow I've never read it. So I was like, this is probably time. for Did me. you finish it? Uh, I'm like three quarters of the way through. So it's uh, oh my god, yeah, we got we got it's good, it's fun, it's uh, it's a little wild. Yeah, it's the way that started off. I was like, I was like, I was just kind of bored for a while because yep. I was like, this is kind of interesting, but also not that much, you know. But then <laughs> things started to kind of get a little weirder. Yeah. So then it started to get a little more interesting. Um. This has been fun. I also picked up a new sci-fi series called, uh, like the first book is called Ancillary Justice. Uh, and it was is fucking that, rad. Is that justice? It's justice like next to it's regular uh, justice. An- an- <laughs> ancillary is is the name for or is it. that auxiliary? That's What's auxiliary. An- ancillary? Ancillary. It's a similar idea, it but fair? but in the so it, the thing is the series is really good. Um, so like I picked basically like Seth, I picked it up, couldn't put it down, and like that was just what I did. Uh, fortunately, I'm it renting them. You. I'm renting them from the library on my Kindle. Nice. And so the, save that money. Then there's a bonus there too, which is that the next one in the series is already out for somebody else, and so I couldn't actually binge on it. So I realized this Ooh. is sort of a an additional uh, pro feature of mm-hmm. using a library instead of buying books is that you can't always have them when you want, and therefore you can't binge things, That's which good. which I which I sort of am, am prone to do. Wait, how does that library work? What's what is that? If you it's just like if you get a St. <laughs> Louis a library. If you get a St. <laughs> no, I, mean, Louis, I, uh, I understand the sort of the physical. If you get concept. a if you get a St. Louis library card, then uh-huh. you can basically sign up on this app called Libby. Um, yeah. You can just get and, digital uh, books from it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And I assume this is true in most other cities. So they uh, have they like them, a queue or something? Yeah, they treat yeah. them like physical They treat books. them like a physical copy. So oh. if somebody else has it. But like it's it's actually – you just go to the app and you choose what you want. You can put a hold on it so you're next in the line. And then once it's up, it just this was becomes a, this available. This would be a great place for blockchain technology. This would, you know, <laughs> I'm just sensing a market opportunity here. <laughs> yeah. This is actually – this is a perfect example of a problem that's already solved that could then also be solved with blockchain technology that now people will get excited about. Mm-hmm. It's already solved in the real world because books exist. Yeah. So – And it's already solved in the digital world because databases exist. Yeah. yeah. Solve so, it again. Solve, solve it again, again more expensively. Raise some VC capital. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, so, I, so I picked up this series. The series is, is very confusing because of the main character. I'm trying to think of this to make sure this is not a spoiler. No, because you figured it out pretty quickly. Uh, so the main character is actually like an AI distributed across multiple like bodies oh, cool. and it is like part of a ship and stuff. And so there's this very confusing. Very relatable protagonist. It, well, but, but, <laughs> but, then it, but then it is actually. So then it's this very confusing thing though because – it's then you're seeing through the eyes of all these different sort of ancillaries, or is the, is where the, uh, all these different sort of uh, things that are, that, are, that are witnessing an event happen at the same time, right? So, so there's a lot of this sort of frame shifting that happens throughout the mm. throughout the book that makes it a little bit hard to hold on to, but it's uh, uh, super good. You know, it's interesting from a human standpoint though, because there's also this com- this general theory about how your brain works, which is that you are a bunch of competing intelligences essentially, yeah. and you just sort of sit on top of it a little bit, like the thing you think of as you. So maybe it is a very relatable protagonist in the sense that you are also just a shitload of various yeah. AIs who want various, you know, or I guess this is the shards um, of AI. This is like the elephant rider metaphor. It is. Yeah. Right. Where like you, what you think of as yourself is actually like a tiny little person mm-hmm. sitting on top of an elephant that's kind of going wherever the fuck it wants. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And, and you're, and you're a, just narrating what You happens. can lean it. Yeah. <laughs> And, yeah. and the best you can do is when the elephant goes somewhere, you can be like, I meant for that to happen. Man, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's about right. You can lean it, maybe get it like three degrees mm-hmm. to the right, but it's going to go over the fuck. But then there was one important thing I did, though. What was that? Which is I ordered a bidet. 
You got a Whoa. bidet? Whoa! <laughs> I can't remember. Really gotta have a clean butt. Gotta have that clean butt. So <laughs> I'm, I'm curious. I'm gonna hear about this. What's the thing is like, is it, is it came up in conversation for some reason? I can't remember. Did it spurt up in conversation? <laughs> it, it, it did somehow, it but I don't remember. Shot into the conversation. I don't remember how we got on that topic, but we were talking about it, and all of a sudden I was like, "You're like, I'm tired of having I was like, a dirty what? ass. Why don't I have a bidet? Like, why have I never tried this? And so like, so I Google around Whoa. a bit, and uh, and there's a company that's like. It does. It's one of those sort of modern, you know, like Meundies style yep. companies where they like they Me bidet. they don't take themselves that seriously. It's called a uh, Hello Tushy. Mm. But also, as I, as I was googling <laughs> it, I was like, this is a really dangerous search <laughs> <laughs> that I'm doing right here. Um, but uh, but they got a, like a hilarious website that's that's just these people like having a blast, like sitting on the toilet, having a blast, <laughs> having a blast. <laughs> Uh, it's it's have puns. A, this should be their trademark. Have, okay. a, have a blast. Have a blast. <laughs> and it's like puns everywhere, and they and they're they're not shy at all about just talking about, uh, but talking about any of this stuff. So uh-huh. like, there's a some you of the models, own it, right? yeah, I some mean, of the models on. on the on the images are wearing a shirt that just says, "Ask me about my butthole." <laughs> So, so I was looking at the site and I was like, I like these people. This is good. Do you get a free tea with the banana? Uh, you know, I don't know. I hope so. <laughs> that would be. I could wear. I could wear that one to work. It'd be so bold. Yeah. Um, so it hasn't arrived yet, but I'm gonna I'm gonna try that thing out once it does arrive. Then I'll report. So back. I assume you got to like rig it into your plumbing and the hood. Yeah, hole. supposedly they've made it all very simple. You know, it's a lot of their big. The new ones you just like sneak it into the. Water tank, I think. Sounds like. Oh, or you, like that. Or you hook it up to the because if you have it next to, so if you're there's a cold water only one, which I was like, fuck no, that's not what I want in my life. Um, yeah, that well, one, I mean, that might be refreshing. <laughs> it would be very refreshing. <laughs> but that one you can just plug right into the toilet's water supply. Yeah, and then there's oh. also there's a there's a you know temperature adjustable one, uh, which if you have a toilet next to a sink, then you can use the sink's water supply. Okay, so that's what I'm, that's what I'm going to be trying out. Wow. So we'll wow. When it is. Well, let us know how it goes, and then invite us over for dinner. <laughs> have a we'll, day. Uh, we'll put it through its pain. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't know about that. I'm not sure about that. Nope. Sounds like a private. He's using someone else's bidet. Is that like a? See, that's the thing is, I don't know anything about how to think about any of it. So I figure I'll get one cultural experience. You know, yeah, to get, get some more, get some more thoughts on the matter right. after after having it. Yeah, we need to hear back. We need to hear back about about this. Uh, also, Sam played Danky Kang. Yes. Let's talk about Danky. Danky Kang Tropica Freeze. <laughs> Tropica Freeze. So Tropical Freeze, I think it actually came out in the Wii U. So it's old. This is a Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze, by yeah. the way, in case you could not because, parse that. Yeah, because <laughs> I was looking up videos for it, and the videos were from like 2015. What? And I thought, what? But I never heard about it because it's on the Wii U. At least I think oh. maybe that's not true, but I don't know how they had videos for it out three years ago. Maybe so, they were working on it. I have no idea. But it's on the Switch, and that's why I came across it because i'd heard uh on uh gmtk game makers toolkit which is mark brown's youtube channel he was talking about i believe it was him was talking about uh the game just how good it is and how one of the things about it was the set design and so in other words you know levels in in both level head uh like you if you look at the background like it's pretty much the same like we don't have a lot of stuff going on back there aside it's from just like, back there it's just back there because we don't really care about it well, um, it's called the background uh-huh mm-hmm. but in the case of donkey kong they like every single level you're in is actually completely they might be themed sort of like on an island itself. So, for example, one of them is the savanna. So there's a lot of those uh, those really bulbous trees called bulb trees. You know what I'm talking uh, about? I think it's a pineapple. pineapple. <laughs> you guys are bulb baobabs. Are you just making it? Talk no, no, it's yeah, why not? I can't That's remember. Okay. What it is. It's something like that. Whatever. I so definitely like, like that name. There's these ones with these big fat trunks, right? So 
the whole get the whole area Backstreet boys i think that's what you that stop is. it so the whole <laughs> the whole zone is in this sort of savanna grassland thing and then they'll come up with new mechanics like oh there's some fire in this place you need to put out with water balloons whatever um but the interesting thing about it is each one of the individual levels has it's like a very distinct and very own set design going on as far as what the background's doing so the background it might be like dark and on fire and there's like a bunch of cliffs and stuff and then you're blasting around in these donkey kong barrels but you blast sometimes backward so you'll blast through z space right as opposed to just the side scrolling so toward part. the background toward the background or toward the foreground and then they'll sort of move the camera around constantly so it's just very visually spectacular just mm-hmm. sort of across the board and really not something i'd seen done in a 2d platformer Except uh, for, for Wario for the for the virtual for, Yeah, it's been years. Yeah. It's been years. Yeah, um, there's some stellar backgrounds. Yeah. <laughs> but the so that was like that was really cool to see. But the one thing kept getting hooked because I get I one of the things I heard about was oh it's really hard. And so when we when we think about and talk about hardness in games, there's there's two kinds. There's the kind that is sort of very purposeful on the point of the designers were like they made it very hard in a particular area. They've given you the tools to do a thing, but mm-hmm. the thing itself is requires hard. expertise. And then there's the other one. Which is when the tool itself kind of sucks, which makes it hard. Like quap. And unfortunately, if it's I'm, like, hey, hang this thing, but you have to use a manual screwdriver to put these drywall ex- anchors exactly. in. Exactly. Yeah. In the case of Donkey Kong, I think, unfortunately, the latter is the case. Because the horizontal movement of the characters is so low that even jumping across like a small, very small gap, you will oftentimes just die. Mm-hmm. Where you'll, if you just, if you just mess it up like the tiniest bit. Then you die. Uh, and on top of that, the like there's only a few different moves that the character does. And one of them involves sort of rolling forward. And this is sort of your like your sort of sprint mechanic. You also can use it to kill enemies, that sort of thing. But the problem is the difference in move speed between your normal lateral movement and then between the rolling move. I think the roll, it must be like five to eight times faster. Hmm. And it also goes for a certain duration before it stops. And you can't cancel it. You can't cancel it. So if you, you hit, can you r- jump while it's happening? You can. Okay. But, of course, you're moving at now light speed compared to where you were. Right. And so, yeah, you if you accidentally tap that button, you'll also just go flying off a ledge. Sometimes. So you're either falling down through trivial gaps or you're overshooting like a fucking yes. missile. Yes. And so even after play, I played four zones and it uh, beat a couple of the bosses. And, like, very fun, very cool. Again, the set design, the characters, everything was – the presentation was just, sort of like, uh, unbelievable. But, yeah, the, the, the fact that I was just routinely dying because – sort of the character would, has this really slow turnaround or they would sort of horizontally get, you know, slowed down and stuck somewhere. Uh, it was so frustrating that after, yeah, after I played it for about two or three hours, mm. I think. Um, and then I was like, well, I'm good. I'm mm. done. You know, there wasn't it because it wasn't, it didn't always feel like it was my skill that was at work. It yeah, or you, like maybe a, you don't feel like there's a, you feel like maybe you don't get to experience growth and mastery because yeah. the tool itself is just too weak. wonky. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a really good experience overall. I got a bunch of ideas uh, that we'll be discussing basically today for pulling into Levelhead. But um, an impressive – it's an impressive piece of set design, I think, more so than anything else. It's very spectacular. Well, it's still worth something. It's, I, it's worth $60, so I don't know if it's worth that, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, wait for a sale. Yeah, wait it, for a sale. Are there sales on first-party games? Does that I ever no even idea. happen? I don't know. I think so. Yeah, Jen and I were looking through uh, – you know, co-op games yesterday on Switch, and so we saw there was there was definitely some stuff on sale. Okay, okay. Although actually, maybe it was first because it was like because Nintendo's got some indies. weird 
It was mostly indies, but yeah, I've never heard of like Zelda going on sale. But or... I know like that Mario Rabbids game was, but that's also an Ubisoft game, which is very confusing. So yeah, I don't think it's first party. Yeah, so maybe there weren't any first parties. Oh. I'm not sure. So I guess either drop the sixty or just watch some YouTube. <laughs> just watch the YouTube. <laughs> you can watch some of the boss fights and stuff. I, I will say this is going to sound like horn tooting, but whatever. Uh, Toot that horn after. Like we spent so much time trying to get the movement and level head to be just really fluid and responsive and precise. And it has absolutely ruined other platformers for me. Yeah, I feel I, that for you. I we we've gotten and it, it's probably just a matter of personal preference, you know? We're like it's so. we've got we've gotten the level head to be where we like it, which is like just how fast the character responds to things, how easy it is to navigate through the world and stuff. <laughs> so that when you when you get killed, you can very easily like point right back at yourself and be like that was me i did i fucked that one. <laughs> it's always definitely your fault yeah um or if you have friends it might be someone else's fault yeah for throwing sure. you into piss by yeah um but but it's always the case that like whatever whatever it is that you want to do you're very it's very easy to sort of impose your will upon the character right and level head um and you don't feel like you have to take a full minute to like slow down and turn around and mm-hmm. go somewhere else so uh speaking of level head let's talk about it How's it going? Where's it at? Uh, we said that we have a big, potentially big announcement, which we do, but we're not going to drop it. We've got a few things to figure out. Still. Yeah, we got, we got some things to figure out. But I do want to talk about uh, discoverability. Yes. Well, the, the, the play problem, actually. The play problem. So this was, so we, uh, again, in doing research for Levelhead, we looked at a bunch of reviews and also actually YouTube videos from people who played the shit out of the game. Because the question was not necessarily what's the first blush you know, experience people have with with a game like this, but uh, what is the problems that people who have really turned it into a hobby come across, and what what do they see that is like the bigger issues in the game? So one of the things that came out was this idea of the play problem, which is that uh, when it comes to surfacing content, there's an issue where if you as a player spend maybe like you know an hour, two hours, even maybe like five hours building a level, and then you ship it, is anybody actually going to play it? Just because of usually, how the works? No. Yeah, the answer is usually no, and so. This is something we've been thinking about a lot. We saw this video, um, which we would just really sort of try to circle in background and try to figure out how exactly to solve this problem in a way so that so that basically if you make a level, then there's some way for you to know that someone will play it, that it has at least that level of discoverability. Where it's a or, few there's, or there's something you can do yes. to make make it so that other people are more likely to play it. So let's talk about what we did. Okay, so – so our solution – well, there's there's also an extra problem, which is when a level first gets published, there's no information about how good it is. Mm-hmm. There's no information about is it engaging, how hard is it. Because it's got zero plays. Nobody's played it, so there's nothing, right? Mm-hmm. And so really we figured like it's kind of a – it's a two-part problem. You know, One is if you're building your discoverability around those things where somebody's like, I want to play a hard level. Well, your level is not going to show up if you just published it because nobody knows how hard it is, mm-hmm. right? Um so there's that. Uh, and so – and then there's just the problem of like once you publish a thing, how do you get it to the top of any kind of a list if all the lists are based on how many plays it's had, right? And so so we landed on this thing where we're calling it the, the QA basement, mm-hmm. which is basically the idea that when you publish your level, it doesn't immediately go into the like big list of levels that's that everybody's playing. Instead, it goes into the QA area which is which is quality game assurance. dev for mm-hmm. quality assurance or software development for quality assurance so essentially like you're packaging up your level you're handing it off to the the qa people 
Um, and that puts your your level into a special list, which is the list of levels that we don't quite know anything about yet. Like the basically it's like the fresh new levels. Uh, and so when it's there, you can play other levels that are also going through QA to boost your level on the on the chart. Mm-hmm. So we actually borrowed this or stole. We could just say stole. We stole mm-hmm. this from Ludum Dare, which Ludum Dare is a game making competition where. Nowadays, like 900 games come out of it, and the goal is to get your game rated by other people, mm-hmm. right? So it's the same problem, actually, as building levels. Right. It's the same problem because it takes it takes effort to download, play, and then rate a game, and people generally are more in it for themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, they'll, they'll publish their own game, and they want their game to get ratings, right? And so their mechanism is the same, which is the, the levels that you can – or the games that you can play are sorted – by how many games the creator has rated. Yes. So if I rate 20 other games, then I get 20 points for my for my game and then that bumps it up the list, right? Mm-hmm. And so so that's kind of the the approach we're taking for that, which is you play other people's levels and then your level goes up and up and up the the QA list and once it's gotten enough plays in there, then it goes into the the main population because now we know some stuff about it and we can actually sort it so we know um like how hard it is and and all that kind of stuff uh so that's that's one aspect of it and the other question is well how do we know if it's any good yeah this is the weird one i think because i saw adam and seth sort of we was like a two-hour we wrestled with (laughs) because the original the original approach was like well we'll use a rating system and you see this in a lot of games um and a lot of games yeah like it's either a thumbs up thumbs down maybe it's maybe they'll ask you to rate different aspects of it so they'll be like how like was it how hard was it like, give mm-hmm. me some stars did was it well designed like whatever but these things are all completely subjective mm-hmm. and arbitrary also you can have a level that's very poorly designed but is also very fun not yeah, because just by accident it's not just by accident so. well, the, and the biggest thing we were going to get into is we were talking about how hard levels are going to be rated the, the, the ratings are going to mean something different for hard levels Correct. because people will be frustrated when they play hard levels but and they also so, might love it. But they also might love it. And so <laughs> – uh, but more people more people don't love the frustration of a hard level. And so that would mean that that hard levels will actually just have their sort of grading curve skewed towards worse grades, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of what we were talking about that kind of get, kept us going round and round in circles was basically how do we – how do we solve the rating problem given that not only does rating mean something different to different people but also it means something different depending on the level. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, and kind of coming back to our conversation from uh, last week's episode is that players often demand things from the game that are adverse to what they really want, yeah. right? So like if a player, let's say they play through a level 200 times and they finally beat it because it's really fucking hard, right? And then they give it a thumbs down and they're like, yeah. I hate this, right? But if they, if they really hated it, why play? did they stick around? Yeah, well, it's just like when you see on Steam, you see some you know user review where it's they got like ten thousand hours put right. into a game with a thumbs down. You know, it's yeah, like, yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe <laughs> maybe that doesn't make sense. Right, and like yeah, what? Because what are they? What are they actually reviewing there? What they're reviewing is uh, maybe they're reviewing like their opinion about the developer at that point. Yeah, right? or or a recent update or something. Yeah, just a very specific. Or, or usually, if they're thousands of hours in, they're reviewing a very specific aspect of the game that mm-hmm. only really becomes an issue once you are a thousand hours in, yeah, or whatever. Which most people never experience it, right? And so, if you're if you're looking at those ratings for a, a decision on should I play this level or should I buy this game or whatever, uh, it's rarely useful. 
Yeah. Right. Well, because there's kind of a difference between when you finish a level and you're remembering the experience of it versus just the experience of it. Right. Yeah. And this is actually really interesting. So this is a, there's a common, there's a problem that was brought up in, it's brought up in psychology a lot, actually, now recently, especially with behavioral economics, is the fact that you as a person have actually two different selves that are often in competition with one another, which I just realized is kind of a similar situation. So one is your experiencing self, which is your moment to moment person, like you just, you know, being here doing this thing, or maybe going through an operation or playing a level. And then you have your remembered self, who actually is a different person and optimizes for different things than your experiential self. Right. And so a lot of the problems that you come into with, with a review system is exactly this, which is, okay, so you might have had like a perfectly, you might have spent 200 hours like playing through some series of levels or playing some game and then, but you're remembering maybe just some of the parts that you found kind of annoying about it. Yeah. Well, it's easy to remember the stuff that was the most frustrating. Or right. But annoying. so the weird thing is that other players are going to be playing it as their experiencing selves. Which means that if you experienced it for 200 hours and kept going. Right. They're not experiencing your memory. Exactly. So we actually, we probably don't care about what your thoughts are on it yeah. after the fact. We well, care about what even, you were doing. It's during, even like, right? uh, we've, we've talked about like how WoW, for example, changed over time. Mm -hmm. And it's like what I remember about the game no longer applies at all. Because right. it's changed so much over 14 yeah. years. So if you played the game back in 2004 and then you went around today telling people. Oh, you got to oh, play this game. Or, or, or don't play this or game, by the way, right? Uh, you'd be talking about something else entirely. Yeah, and, and so that's that's a whole other thing. And then there's then there's things like uh, Eve Online, which is a game that I love, but I also I would never recommend anybody to play. <laughs> <laughs> so so it, just because uh, I think it's it's for a very niche uh, mm -hmm. kind of a player, and so I it's just not something that I would like push somebody into. It's something that right. they would need to want on their own. So if, if Steam is like, would you recommend this game to other people? And I'm like, well, no. I mean, I don't. I wouldn't, and I don't. But that doesn't mean that it's a bad game, right? Right? Yeah. You it's recommend just it to certain other. I people. would recommend it to people who are interested in it, but for most people, mm -hmm. no, I, I wouldn't. And so, uh, so the, the the problems with rating systems are are many. And we've also talked about in Level Head when when would you ask somebody to rate a level? Yeah, because what if they want to leave it? Yeah. What if they what if they die five times? And then they quit. Do we ask them to rate it then? Because mm -hmm. uh, that's when they're most frustrated. Probably that's when mm -hmm. they're the most pissed off. What if what what if uh, we say you can only rate it when you beat it? Mm -hmm. well, that means really hard levels will never get rated hardly ever, mm -hmm. um, and they'll only get rated by the people who found it in, enjoyable enough to stick around. Right. So now it's a really uh, biased yeah. measurement. And what if we said okay, you can you can just rate it whenever you want on the pause menu? Well, guess guess what menu you use to quit the level. Well, it's the pause menu. <laughs> yeah. uh, what if we just randomly ask you to rate it? Like at some point. Well, what if we missed it? Like what if you quit before we asked you? Mm -hmm. So there's all these scenarios. Well, and, and at, the, at the sort of at the end of all of this, we have to have a statistically valid sample of ratings, so that when we attach the rating to that level, we can feel comfortable that, that yeah, that actually ish. means something, right? right? That it means something relative to other other uh, values of that same rating yeah. system. And so we kind of realized like, you know what? We don't care what people think <laughs> well, <laughs> because the, they're usually wrong. Uh, and, yeah. and you can always bias their answers just based on how you ask, right? Yes. That's actually the problem is there's, yeah. there's no way to ask for a review in a way that doesn't, that doesn't, that, that ask does not somehow become part of the review, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And like this, there, there is an entire uh, profession of like people who 
who are experts at composing forms and questions yeah. in certain ways to extract very specific desired answers, mm-hmm. right? Like this is this is a known thing that you can yeah. easily bias answers mm-hmm. uh, just by Basically, asking. any political survey you ever take is wrong. Is designed to get specific answers out of you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which is why – well, I think you should just never take surveys, just full stop, yeah. you know. Uh, so so our solution was basically say, OK, we're not going to ask people anything. Instead, we're just going to look at them. Yep. And this is actually our approach when we talk about a lot of, uh, of QA stuff, which is like if you really want to know what somebody thinks about your game, just watch them play it. Don't ask them what they think mm-hmm. about it and you'll get a lot of answers. So we have a handful of metrics that get attached to every level. And we, we know things like how many people have played it, like how many uh, people, like how many deaths have there been on that level? How many victories have there been? How much playtime um, has gone into it? How much playtime has gone into it? And so we can, we can use some of these really simple statistics to reverse engineer uh, answer to some simple questions, which is like, uh, how, how many times do people tend to die? Like, like on average per player on this mm-hmm. level, um, which is an actually kind of a metric of like, what's the probability that somebody s- finds their death to be something that was sort of in their control versus something that was frustratingly annoying that they couldn't deal with. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause what we can assume is like people quit when they get killed uh, due to things that they think are unfair. Right. Or if they just don't like the experience. Or if they just don't like the experience. Right. And so, so we kind of like compile all these different statistics together in various ways to come up with, with what we're just calling like a replay value metric, which is just to answer the question, uh, how much does the typical player who comes across this level come back to this level? Uh, how many, like how engaged are they with the level? Do they tend to stick around and play it a bunch? Do they revisit it? Do they spend a lot of time in it? Do they play and like, do they beat it a bunch of times repeatedly to try to find all the different secrets and Mm -hmm. things like that? Uh, and also because of our high score system, people will revisit the same levels to compete with their friends. Mm -hmm. Right. But they won't revisit levels that they hate. Yep. <laughs> yep. So so we can kind of we can kind of compile all these together to come up with sort of a replay value metric, and we say, you know what, that's going to be our metric. It's sort of our page rank equivalent. Basically. Yeah, yeah. For that's going to be our metric. And so what that's going to do is that's going to like yes, that is going to bias certain things. No matter what we yeah, do, definitely. No yeah. matter what we do, it's going to bias certain things. That's what sorting literally is. It's it's biasing things. Yeah. Uh, and so. So we just had to ask the question of not like what is the best level because that's what like that's arbitrary. Instead, we should say like what levels do we want to show people? Like what are the characteristics mm-hmm. of levels that we want to sort to the top? And we just said, well, those are levels that people seem to enjoy spending a lot of time in and keep coming back to. Mm-hmm. Even uh, if they kind of hate it at the same time, right? Yeah. Which, which is how you feel about hard levels. Right? Yeah. It's yes. like – is you like it and you hate it. Yeah. So so that's kind of so that's kind of where we landed. So we're removing this rating concept. We're using statistics to try to figure out what levels are engaging. Yep. Um, and then we have a lot of buckets that you can filter by. So we have, you know, you can filter by difficulty, you can filter by tags, mm-hmm. uh, by game mode, by number of players, by all these things. And then you can also uh, check by time. So you can be like, show me the like the most engaging levels from the past day or the yeah. past week or whatever. Yeah, we've also teased this idea of uh, – or just in- internally talked a little bit about the idea of providing another time-based sort of breakup point, which is something al- along the lines of like a season, right? So if you have a season, which is a quarter or even shorter, and then if you're able to then – basically any level that gets made is able to be slotted into multiple of these buckets, then you have more and more opportunity for it being able to surface – you know, towards the top 
somewhere. Yep. Based on all the stuff. Yeah. And so when people are looking for specific niche things, um, then you'll you're if you make an engaging level that meets those criteria, then it'll it'll float to the top. So so we combine this along with our uh, QA basement concept. Mm-hmm. Then if you make a level, it's going to get played. As, as long, long as, as you, you play, as long as you put in the time to to QA test other people's levels, mm-hmm. right? So your level will get played. It'll sort to the top of QA, uh, and then once it reaches a certain threshold, it'll be bumped out of QA into the main populace. And at that point, uh, you sort of based on how people responded to your level when they played it while it was in QA, then now it's got kind of a preliminary sort of engagement ranking and difficulty estimate and difficulty estimate. Um, and then from there, that that will kind of settle, right? So if your level turned out to be super hard, um, then it goes it goes into the super hard bucket, and then people will be able to see it in there, and then it'll kind of float up and down in, in the ranking. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of our solution. We realize like not every level can get a million plays. It's just not like math math doesn't work right. that way. Um, so the best we can do is we can guarantee that you have a mechanism to get some plays on your level. Yes. But then after that, it's kind of actually after that, it depends on how good your level depends was. on. Yeah, yeah. It depends on how engaging, your how level engaging was. it was. Right? Yeah. Um, so that's, that's where we're at with that. Well, I think we're, we're pretty pleased with it. We still need to kind of see how it, yeah, I'm pretty confident. About it lands. Yeah, we'll see how I, think it the, yeah, I think the balance point is going to be with what's a, because to make this all work, we have, to, we have to make sure we control carefully how many new games go into the queue. Cause if there's like, there's, there's an enormous number of games in there that everybody's like trying to like balance mm-hmm. and play. Um, then that doesn't work super well, but it can actually probably handle a pretty good number of levels. Well, and on the so plus like, side, so throttling incoming levels and then also tweaking that uh, that algorithm. Even if it's the case that for every level that every time you turn in a level, if you go and you play like five or six levels to try mm-hmm. to get yours bumped up, then that's like a that's a one to six sort of yeah. difference, right? So yeah, well, and not only that, but like people who people who play a lot of levels, of course, theirs will go way to the top of the list of the QA mm-hmm. of the QA list. Um, but those levels will get played a lot faster and a lot more, and then they'll be bumped out of QA. Exactly. Yeah. So, so they don't uh, actually soak up. So, right. So they go the to the top of the list, but then they're gone because they've left QA now because mm-hmm. they've gotten the plays they needed. So, so it's, it's a self-balancing system that actually gives, it gives you the creator some tools to make sure that other people get to see yeah, it without having so. to have like a Twitter following or be a successful YouTuber. Already yeah. And the fact so. is like your level <laughs> can sit in QA for however long. So, so if you just, if you're like, oh yeah, people still aren't playing it. You know, play a few more levels today, play a few levels tomorrow, mm-hmm. and you'll just keep accruing points on your level. And over time, it'll it'll end up at the top. Right. Um, so you've got you've got the tools. Yeah, I think that was the big thing is there's no sense of player agency when it came to getting your level played in any of it's these. It's much like games. publishing a game. Yeah, it is, it's the same. <laughs> right. yeah. Can you imagine that if you could publish, if you could boost your game up the charts by playing other people's games? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that would be oh something. God. I, I would hate that actually. Yeah. <laughs> I have to play a lot of games. Yep. There's a thousand a day. Um, all right, well, let's quickly talk about some uh, industry news before we get on to questions. So essentially, I just want to talk about what's happening in terms of there's a lot of stuff coming out around this time because it's nearing the holidays. Uh-huh. And some things haven't gone as planned. Fallout 76, namely. Which Fallout I think 76. Being a bad idea a little while ago. Yeah. Fallout 76, sales are about 20% of Fallout 4's sales. Mm-hmm. Well, Fallout 4 did sell a lot of copies. It did. So that isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's right. just. Well, the assumption is. It's in bad a, for a publicly traded company. Yeah. The assumption in a franchise is that your sequels tend to outperform the prequels. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So this is a pretty big hit. Uh, Hitman 2 
same same deal. It did a, a 10% of the sales of the previous Hitman game, which, which is, is pretty bad. That's pretty bad. Um, and then also uh, Activision has been struggling with, with Destiny 2, which this one I thought was interesting because they simultaneously said like, oh, it's doing great and it's making a ton of money. But also sales figures are incredibly disappointing. <laughs> uh, this is, I think there's that, that contradiction of being a publicly traded company, right? It's Where, not about well, it's not about how well you succeeded. It's about what compared to compared ex, to expect, some some expectation yeah. or, or quarter uh, over quarter growth or, or yeah. whatever. And so Destiny Two has been having the, the difficulty where they they launched around the same time as like that whole EA Battlefront. Uh, fiasco with yeah, Star Wars. Boxes, yeah, yeah, all the loot boxes. And Destiny 2 essentially had a, a similar concept where they, they took a lot of the interesting progression systems of the first game and just were like, fuck that, and they turned it into a slot machine. Well, the, the bigger so, problem was that players found that they had put some – we talked about this last week, I think, yeah. but put some of these live algorithms in there that were tweaking drop rates and stuff for people who actually spent money. Yeah. Oh, shit. On that is slightly an aside, but mm-hmm. I think it's exactly relevant, which is I just saw that there was a crackdown on one of the airlines – because they were intentionally splitting up families. They had an algorithm that was that was basically intentionally splitting up families to basically form a mechanism by which people would have to pay to like move, change their seating. And it was also funny because it's like this is the same thing that we've been talking yeah. about with loot boxes. But also my my wife and I were talking about this as we were because we were we were completely surprised because we almost always fly Southwest Airlines. Mm-hmm. Right. So on Southwest, you, you just have an assigned seat. Sit wherever you want. You just sit wherever, but you have to get in a certain order in line to get on the mm-hmm. plane, right? And so on this whole trip, we ended up like being way further forward than we've like, do we normally ever get? And that's the, and, and my wife will just be there. Like the moment the clock flips over mm-hmm. for our check-in, check-in time, yep. she hits the button. Right. And somehow remarkably until this trip, like we're always end up like way, way back in the line. Hmm. And uh, so basically for me, like I had, I had a few assumptions going at that time, which is basically just that there actually wasn't really a correlation between those things hmm. uh, or that people, of course, can pay to like move themselves up or whatever. But the one I hadn't thought about until I sort of put all this stuff into the same bucket was that they want to they want to sell you this early bird thing that moves you up yeah. the line, right? And you can buy it after you check in. Yeah, my assumption right? is that because they know that people who check in like immediately want to be exactly. earlier in line. They're actually so they're, they're block. almost definitely, and of course, who knows what they're really you could doing? Buy an early bird. I have never. After they're probably in. exactly. They're probably <laughs> yeah. definitely. Oh yeah, they've got to be. The people who like falsely come in the first thing, exactly. they have to be doing that. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's not. A, it's, I don't think anywhere in their terms does it say like this is actually oh, no, no, no. order of, of check. Well, I, mean, yeah. I was wondering like what this time, like we ended up really far in the front. I was like, they're doing one of two things, right? One is they saw that we never did it. And so they gave up on us, right? And they want like, you to, maybe they want you to feel what it's like. But exactly. To the be other early. one, <laughs> yeah, watch your next, right? your yeah. next The flights. other one is they're training us to be like, oh, look how good it feels to be able to pick your seat. Yep. So they can put us in the back of the bucket again. And, uh, but the, the fact that like, not only could they just be doing this, they probably are fucking doing this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they I have just, to be. <laughs> I just got well, so well, if you're if you're selling something, service, product, whatever, then you are going to try to sell more of that. Oh, yeah. I'm going to get it. That's just how yeah. selling yeah. things is. If you get full control of the environment, then this is exactly, exactly the thing we're And it's a black week. box. You can't yeah. see it. Yeah, you got this yeah. manipulation problem. So, so Destiny 2 had this. Yeah. They the players found out about it because players are not idiots, yep. and they were rightfully pissed off that their their gameplay experience was was different from their friends' gameplay experiences in ways that were trying to manipulate them into spending more money on the game. Mm-hmm. So the the hardcore Destiny players sort of the bottom fell out yeah. of that, like they just abandoned the game, and over time, uh, the game has 
undergone a series of major patches and stuff to alleviate these problems. And the and by and large, it's back on track. Mm-hmm. The game is, is quite good. Um, and so they launched this big expansion called uh, Destiny 2 Forsaken. And essentially what they said was like, those players aren't coming back. They're just not coming back. <laughs> Burn that bridge. Yeah. Um, and so they're like, maybe they're waiting for Destiny 3, but the goodwill is gone. And yeah. so so now they've been giving away Destiny 2 for free, trying to get in new mm-hmm. players whose you know, who's bridge they haven't burned mm-hmm. um, to get those people to buy then the expansion. Because like if they, if they get into the game, they play the game for free for a while, then they buy the, the expansion pack or whatever. So – uh, so a lot of kind of interesting, like things not quite panning out as people would have hoped. Yeah, in the industry, well, this, is a, this is part of a, a problem with the the games as a service model, right? Which is that it sort of it hinges on this idea that you can continue delivering content and keep growing your player base. Mm-hmm. Uh, except we know how finicky a, a player base is, and yeah. and if most of your decisions going into the game design have to do with how to extract money from your players, you're walking an even tighter tightrope than you normally yeah. are, right? Uh, of trying to keep Trying to get as much money out while not. Yeah, I mean, just getting them to hang around for a long time is hard. Well, period. Yeah, this reminds me of a conversation we had in the Discord over the over the break about esports because mm-hmm. there's a problem with video games as a service, which is if you're continuously pumping content into the game, uh, at a certain point, like a few things can happen. It's like one is is you got kind of the League of Legends idea, mm-hmm. which is you're adding more and more champions to the game all the time. Why? Because you need people to buy things. Mm-hmm. And yep. people buy champions. And that's fine. You can also just keep pumping skins into the game and maybe some small services here mm-hmm. and there. Um, but all these things kind of point toward there never being a way to fully master the game in the long term because the game continuously changes uh, as necessitated by the fact that it needs to keep making money. If it stays stagnant, then at a certain point, people will not have anything left to buy. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and on top of that, there's this idea that a, a game is a, a video game is a product. Like you can't get away. Like people can call it a service, but it's a product and products have life cycles. Mm-hmm. Right. So like restaurants as a concept, that's a service, mm-hmm. right? Those don't have a life cycle. Like I'm probably going to be going to restaurants when I'm 90, just mm-hmm. as I did when I was nine. Right. But would you go to the same one? Is it true that like, Could be. individual restaurants don't have life cycles? I think probably an individual restaurant is a product. I would imagine they probably have the same situation. Yeah, yeah. sure. Because they, like, they change up menus actually pretty regularly, right? Yeah. Because yeah. they want to keep you coming back to try new yeah. things. Yeah. Right? But like so, – so individual games will have a life cycle. But think about something like chess. Yeah. Right? So like that is – like is it in its – is it in its decline stage? I don't think so. Like it's just kind of there. It's just a game. You know? Um, and so – so, but the fact that it's static is what allows for that to be true. Right. Because you don't have like the developers of chess constantly trying to find ways to like make you pay 50 cents to move your queen mm-hmm. or like add new pieces to the game to spice it up or whatever. Um, and so because it's static, then that means people who played chess 40 years ago or 100 years ago or 500 years ago uh, can operate by the same set of rules. And so it means something to like reach certain rankings right. and sort of a, a culture can grow around that thing in the long term. And you can even – stop playing chess for 10 years and come back and you still know how to play it, mm-hmm. right? And so it has a very long-term sort of a slow burn to it. But for a lot of these uh, games-as-a-service things, they they churn people out who get disengaged for even a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. It's like you probably experienced this with League of Legends. Oh, yeah, yeah. You'd have something you big. step out for a month yeah. and you come back and all of your knowledge is irrelevant, Yeah, right? 
Um, and so I think they have this they have this kind of inherent problem with them, which is it's interesting. Interesting which, conflict, basically. Yeah, the co- the conflict is that by constantly changing the game, uh, you you create an environment that people can't return to if they ever step away. Well, it right? is the case though, because a, a lot of that churn is what is exciting about because unlike something like chess, which is static, the churn makes it exciting to be a part of. Yes. But it also makes it so that it's only exciting for people who are a part of it. And as soon as you're not a part of it anymore, you can't – You basically can't – you can't actually capitalize on your previous user yeah. base in a way like well, like a game that is static could because yeah. all the players of chess could all be interested in a chess game now, right? Yeah. Because you played it before. You know what it is. It's the same. But if you went to League of Legends, for example, like I played it uh, probably four years ago when I really, really was into it. Um, and I just recently looked at some of their new champions and stuff and just kind of what – I have no idea what's happening anymore. I have <laughs> yeah. like almost no idea. And I got, of course, I know the basics. But when it comes to like who's a good matchup against who, like why certain things might matter, like they've changed the map. They've Everything changed the jungle. Different. They've changed routes, like all this stuff. So, um, well, so yeah, this, this is where – yeah, so this is where I'm really curious about things like trying to bring games – I don't know how we got on this, but anyway. Uh, like trying to bring games more into the – into the mainstream, like this esports idea mm-hmm. of trying to get more people engaged. And I think about the fact that, like, there's a lot of fans of like soccer and stuff like that who don't play soccer. Yeah, right. Um, and I, I don't really see that happening with video games, especially games that are constantly changing like this, mm-hmm. where like you can't watch a League of Legends tournament. Yeah, I don't know. Even happening. though you put years of your life into playing that game. And trying to master it, and you were actually competing at a high level. Well, I think the the problem there though is that they they too closely emulated something like chess. It's a dynamic chess game versus something like Fortnite, which actually is to me very watchable because you're yeah. just shooting people and building yeah, stuff. Yeah, you don't it's have to know. Goal. You don't have to know what the rules are for why people can build stuff and where exactly. and when. You just like see people building cool shit and using it as an interesting yeah. obstacle. Yeah, or whatever. It's, easy, it's easy to see what's like Rocket League is yeah. also a great yeah. one that you can. So watch. I think there's yeah. there's different types of games. I think that basically the further into into tactical or strategy stuff you get, uh, if you're also having a dynamic business model on top of that, then yeah, I think you're going to run into what is actually a big problem for esports generally, which is that if the game is constantly changing. And is also complex. Yeah. Then well, you don't to me, have this is the a growing user base that can watch and enjoy it over time. Yeah. To me, this is this is the pull. Like this is the sort of dichotomy of incentives that makes it very hard for a video game to exist in the long term as like a core part of the right. of the culture at large, because the player base demands the game to constantly be changing in order for them to stay engaged. For that to happen, it needs to undergo constant development. Development is expensive, which mm-hmm. means the game has to constantly extract money. money. Right. From the players, uh, which means there's in the long term, the incentive is and like in a, in a product life cycle, you see this with MMOs and stuff like that. No matter how long they last, at a certain point, they hit a decline phase yep. uh, where the player base starts to dry up. And then all of the uh, efforts of the company shift away from uh, new features and stuff into value extraction, right. right? Which is like try to continue making money from the, the few people who are sticking around. And then you just end up with these kind of like uh, algorithms that are designed to, you know, rig people's <laughs> experience right. to try to take uh, their money, take their money. Yeah. So this is all mm. super weird. Uh, I also think this is why, for example, a game like Diablo 2, you know, mm-hmm. uh, was able to live so long was that you just bought it. And then now that is what it is. Yep. It's not a service. It's not like undergoing constant development or whatever. And so it can mm-hmm. it can develop this really loyal following over time because people can the game is huge and deep and people can develop a ton of mastery. Oh, and so they can spend with, twenty years with like it. the old Pokemon, right? Because like 
It had it had a Pokedex. You knew exactly mm-hmm. how many creatures there were. You could learn what all of them were, and people, you know, people memorized like the everything about all the different mm-hmm. Pokemon that were in the in the original and, and every subsequent one as well. Because they didn't have to come back to it and be like, oh shit, five new Pokemon have been added since I played this right. last, you know, six months yeah. ago. And because this one got added, it changed the rules to the entire game. Or like Smash in, Bros. Or Smash Bros. Like, yeah. When a Smash Bros. game comes out, it has the characters that it has. It has the rules that it has. Mm-hmm. It's not being constantly patched and updated with new Smash characters or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, and so that's what allows uh, tournaments to – like tournament scenes and, and actually like e- – well, I consider esports scenes. You need a level of static play. Otherwise, you can't – you can build it on a constantly shifting ground basically. Yeah. 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 So yeah, that's kind of – It's sort of interestingly incompatible with games as a service. Yeah. Which is mainly with the industries now. Yeah. Even ours, I mean, Crashlands, we've still been working. We just put out a Switch launch for, you know. Well, it's we're weird because like, we, are, we, are, we are continually developing the game, but we're not asking for any more money, which is, of mm-hmm. course, a bad business move. It is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, in terms of – well, that, But that's also assuming of, that had we asked for money, we would have gotten it, which I think is not necessarily yeah. true. <laughs> right. So, so I don't know. I don't know what that means. Uh, but anyways – also, Pokemon Let's Go is absolutely crushing everything right now. They, they outsold Breath of the Wild and Super Mario Odyssey. Yeah. Which is pretty obscene. Pretty well, well, especially it, because it's a non-standard Pokemon game. Yeah. So I watched it's, a, it's effectively a remake of Pokemon Red Blue or with, Pokemon Yellow. But with different mechanics, which is the wild part. Yeah. Instead of battling wild Pokemon, you just throw balls at them and hit them with berries. And everybody levels up all at once all the time. And it's just – yeah. But there's, there's no Pokemon battles anymore? There are. There just, are just only, with trainers. only with trainers. Oh. You don't fight wild ones. You just thump them with a ball. You just catch them? Yeah. Interesting. And then when you catch them, based on like how rare they were, uh, how – effectively you caught them so like if you if you catch them with the first throw then you get like a xp boost if mm-hmm. you there's also like a weird like mini game where there's like a circle that's shrinking and and the smaller you let the circle get if you hit the middle of the circle with the pokeball then you get like a big boost it's like fishing in torchlight yeah yeah, yeah. well it's interesting because we actually were talking a lot about this when we were talking about campaign stuff for for mm-hmm. level head too right we're trying to figure out like you know, what is it that people want to do there? We're thinking about we're thinking about Pokemon. Like, what's fun about Pokemon? We're like, well, it's it's the battles. And we thought about more. We're like, well, actually, the battles aren't very fun. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the sort of the collection aspect, and then like the sort of exploration of the world coupled with run that, around. Right? Is and, everything? And now they're context. saying, actually, okay, no, the battle doesn't matter either. It's well, the uh, matter, battle does matter, matter, but it should be. But it could be anything, as opposed to well, because uh, in the case of Pokemon, this mm-hmm. new Pokemon, right? Like that means that that most of the things that you're doing are not battling other. Correct, trainers. but that actually makes the battling more interesting because now when you go to fight a trainer, sure, yeah. one, it's rarer, and two, it can actually be hard. Yeah, right. Well, and also there was that. Though it's not. There was that. <laughs> though it's not. There was a negative aspect of walking through the tall grass. Yeah. And you're on your way somewhere in the story and like things keep attacking you and your Pokemon are slowly dying. Like <laughs> yeah. you're running out of moves, you're getting killed, whatever, and you can't really level up your Pokemon without also risking them, right? Uh, and also sort of hampering your progress through the story. Mm-hmm. So especially like when you're in a Zubat cave, which is the worst, mm-hmm. um, and everything that you fight is a fucking Zubat. Uh, and you take three steps and it's Zubat. Three more steps and it's Zubat. Yep. But there's also like hikers and, and random other people in there. And so what you end up doing is mostly running away from the Zubats every time they attack you uh, so that you have enough HP and moves left to fight the trainers, mm-hmm. right? So so now they actually just like – they actually have little Pokemon pop out in, in the you grass. See them with your and eyes. they start walking around. Oh, you can just go run into them? You can yeah. see them. And if, and if you want to try to catch them, then you bump into them. I wonder if – because we've been talking a lot about this. I wonder if this is – because obviously the game's selling great. 
right? And people are going to have a good time with it regardless. Uh, but I wonder if the experience is actually going to be less good because these, you know, pr- quote unquote problems, right, have have been removed. Because like like you just said, a fucking Zubat cave and you talk about the experience, like we I, we've all shared that experience. I know exactly yep. what you're talking about. This is now a thing that brings us into shared history that we remember specifically. I don't remember anything about the game otherwise, except for these like mostly painful experiences right? right? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and everything else is just like this general high level of like, Oh, that was a pretty good time. Well, yeah. I think, I think the note here is that it's not that it's better. It's just, a, it's just a different animal. No, it's going to be different. Definitely. Yeah, it's um, just a different animal. But I wonder well, if the question is how, st- take, how sticky is it? Yeah. yeah. Is, is it going to take away some of the sense of like of depth and, and sort of memorable? Cause like, I'm thinking like, there's nothing really memorable about just like hitting it. Like I don't, I have no recollection at all of capturing any Pokemon. Like when I threw the Pokeball, you know, do you remember the ones that were hard to get like uh, Abra? You mean like to get into a Pokeball? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah most because he had to just teleport yep. away. Most because he had to fight him so much first. Yeah, either you know? he had to fight him or they just ran away at me. Yeah. 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 I so, remember when, because Seth and I played uh, Sapphire and Ruby back in high school, and we were going to complete a Pokedex, and we were close to it. And then the two, uh, like, final legendary ones, they show up, and then they just, like, are appearing randomly around the map. So mm-hmm. you just have to run around the grass constantly. But then the worst part about it is that. When you find them, they just leave. <laughs> and they're also like level 70. And like you can't. You got to figure out like maybe try to paralyze it first I think it took, us, it took us like four hours to get one to show up in a battle. And then it just left. And I think that was actually we were like, well, I guess we're done. Like, fuck this. Yeah, we're close <laughs> enough. <laughs> 148 is fine. But also had we had we gone through with it. That would have been, been pretty awesome. awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And this is kind of this is kind of the feeling that I yeah. got was I, I do admit like I enjoyed it. But I also didn't really feel anything. Because you played po- you played the new Pokemon. I played the Yeah, because that's game. what I'm worried about. I'm worried about it. it's going to feel like it doesn't have any soul. Yeah, well, there's there's no interesting thing, which is like in the old games, you could just like take your starter Pokemon and just use it. You're like, this is mine now, mm-hmm. and I don't give a fuck about catching anything else. Yep. I'm just going to go into tall grass, battle, grind it out, level up, and then just one-shot everybody. And that's a decision that you can make. Um, in the current one, they actually don't – they take away a lot of those decisions. So, for example, when you go to a gym – they won't let you fight the trainer until you've reached a certain level. Oh. They won't let you fight hmm. the trainer unless you have a type of Pokemon that counters their type. Oh. So they actually take away all of your agency. Well, they take away your agency. Yeah, so but you- it is supposed to be – it's not for hardcore people. Well, yeah, that, well, but, that, but that's yeah. an interesting question though because neither was the first yeah, one. Neither, neither were any of the Pokemon. Right? So now apparently – Pokemon's were never for hardcore. Right. So now right. apparently hardcore means you can lose. That's what, that's what it means, mm-hmm. right? And that's no longer the case. Um, at no point in the – I'm now like three hours or four hours in. I've got several gym badges. I've got like 30 Pokemon in my Pokedex or whatever. And at no point have I felt like I was even able to find something in the game that put any of my Pokemon at risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, even gym even gym battles, which are supposed mm-hmm. to be like the big boss fights. Right. you know. This is actually the main reason I stopped playing the last Pokemon game was because after a while I just got bored because it just wasn't – you don't have well, yeah. Anything you do, you win. Yeah, it just didn't feel. It didn't feel like my decisions ever mattered. Yeah, yeah. It was like it was. It was felt like the collection aspect was fun. Like, but it, after that, it just didn't seem like anything. Maybe I I'll play it on Nuzlocke mode. You know, what's what that? that? I've never that fan made hardcore mode where you, if your Pokemon ever passes out, then you have to set it free. <laughs> and then oh. you can only play with the one. Well, that's the problem is like you Pokemon you're free? never gonna have a yeah. Pokemon pass out. <laughs> well, the other one is that any Pokemon you catch that fills up your party, this is the Pokemon you have now. So the only way to have a Pokemon go is if leave is that if, if it dies, essentially, then you set it free. And then otherwise, then very next Pokemon you catch, which this game is all about catching, 
is the one that goes in your party. Yeah, but this is the problem is actually the way that you level up is by catching. And and also yeah, and also the uh in the in the older games when you caught a pokemon you caught it on purpose, you sought it out on purpose, you named it and that was the one that you had. Like right like you caught your Weedle yeah, and you wouldn't like, catch multiple Weedles. Yeah, you're like this is my yeah. Weedle now, mm-hmm. right? Uh what happens if you've got 30 Weedles? Because they also have this thing called a combo, which is Oh yeah, yeah. They have these special versions of all the Pokemon, which are like differently colored, and I think they maybe have better stats or something. The way you get them to show up is by repeatedly catching the same one in a row mm-hmm. to build right. up a combo multiplier, uh, which boosts your XP. But then also, once you reach certain combos, then the special ones show up. Mm. So you essentially have this mini game where, like, if you want, if you want like a special rat Rattata or whatever, then you need to just continuously catch Rattatas and nothing else, and av- like keep avoiding. Any other Pokemon you see, and then you just end up with like thirty Rattatas, and you're and you're interesting. And yeah, then you go like, though. it's just like it's a very different game. Well, it's very, very different, but then what you yeah. do is like then you you package up your Pokemons, the ones you don't want, and you mail them to Professor Oak, and he sends you back candy that you feed to your uh-huh. current one <laughs> to boost its stats. Right. Uh-huh. Um, so. Pokemon essentially go from being like these companions that have interesting stories to being this like commodity that you're just like hoarding and trading. They're like a currency now. Maybe that's weird. Maybe that's just more true to what the Pokemon world would actually be. I mean, like if you could just thump things with a ball to have them now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That would be a totally a commodity based market. Like you would be everything. Would you I be assume you need a lot of Pokeballs in this game. Yeah. Do you have infinite they, ones or do you – Well, now now when you beat trainers in battle, they give you money and they give you Pokeballs. Oh. So you end up with Cause, just cause like a Pokeballs infinite. actually felt – always felt like a rare yeah. kind of expensive Yeah, well, because item. you were supposed to use them in special moments. Yeah. And now that's like your ammo. You yeah. know, <laughs> it's like just a thing that you use. Uh, I think it's – I mean, I think it's overall going to be really good though for the series. The question is – Well, the problem is that I, uh, I think it's one of those regressions that's hard to undo. Right, because now what what happens in the next game? Like, let's say you bring in a bunch of new people who are now they're like, oh yeah, this is a game where you just like you know drool and just hit A, and then you win the game after twenty hours. Or something. <laughs> right. um, so what's going to happen? Give them a tiny bit of a challenge. Yeah, what's going to happen if the next Pokemon game reverts back to the original concept where now you're just battling the whole time? I don't think people will respond. I don't well, know. I right? think it'll be fine. I think I think they're just rampant people. I think I, don't I think, think I, don't, I think I think the the genie's out. I think this is this is the uh, the slippery slope of convenience that you cannot walk back up it because it's too fucking slippery. <laughs> I don't. I don't, I don't know, think. I, I think. I think probably what they're doing is on a game by game basis, they're forming a difficulty curve, just like you would if you're playing through a level of a game. So if you think about Pokemon Let's Go, like the challenge is literally physically moving your damn body around. That's it. And then if you think about Let's Go Pokemon or Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee, it's sort of the next iteration of that. And if you think about the traditional games, it's the very next iteration of that. So what I'm saying is like there's a – they're basically creating a curve through which people of any different level want to – who want to participate can participate. I don't necessarily think that we'll be see. that. We'll see. In my experience, games only get easier over time. That's generally true. Yeah. So – because that's what people demand, uh, and then they get bored and leave. So I, I, yeah, I'm curious to see what the response would be if they made like the next Pokemon game, saying like, now that we've gotten you into the universe, now all that stuff that you liked about Pokemon Let's Go, that's gone now. All that catching stuff. My guess is they'll they'll just roll it into like the Safari Zone or something. You know, like it'll be there. They'll just sort of sideline it and put it in a box. Yeah, maybe we'll see. I think it's like the Safari Zone makes no sense at all. But in the in the in the 
that exact mechanic you're talking about, perfect for something like Safari, though. That's true. It would be awesome to go and, like, change it up a little bit and just, like, thump Rhyhorns with balls, right? But, pe- like, but people would have to get there first. Yeah. I, don't know. I think it's going to be good. We'll figure out. We'll, we'll see. see. <laughs> I think you're going to uh, – I think it's smart. All right. So we're pretty much out of time, but I do want to answer one question because we actually haven't answered any questions. Let's so let's just do it. Uh, CDC Mully says, hey, B-Bros, question for you. In the, uh, in the game dev process, by far my weakest point is the art. I've kind of been sticking to simpler art styles, but would eventually like to make a fun RPG with many weapons, armor, and characters. Finding an artist would be ideal, but it's just not viable at the moment as this is just a hobby for me uh, that I hope to maybe make some spare change on. Should I just keep practicing art until I get to that point, or are there any suggestions or tips? The two tips that I have are one, yes, keep practicing so that you're self-sufficient enough. Well, I think, yeah, if, if it's not viable to have a person. Yeah. That's your only move. Your either. options are keep practicing and then, or don't practice. Yeah. <laughs> or, well, and, then, and then the other one is, is to try to embrace the constraints in some way. Yeah. Uh, Cause a lot of clever Just stuff comes in those out of, constraints. Yeah. It comes out of recognizing, okay, I can't, I can't actually perform X, Y, or Z at a high enough level to, you know, Make yeah. it work. Yeah, I can't make Can I get humans, around it. So let me make Thomas was alone, which is only rectangles. Exactly. Yes. Well, because I think there's there's something to be said about all right, maybe you can't render realistic objects mm-hmm. with your hands, with your art, right? But that doesn't mean that you that you can't make things that look good. Yes. Because things that look good are oftentimes about shape and color. Mm-hmm. So if you if you don't have the sense to, for example, like if you if your main menu is like a maximum blue background with maximum red text on it, then start there because you mm-hmm. fucked that up real good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, no, don't do hot pink on lime green. You yep. know, uh, there are some things that for some reason people always do and they're the worst. Yeah. So so study. Uh, go to the basics. Study color theory. Um, stick to like more basic shapes and stuff because there's that problem where like, if you, if you are bad at art and then you decide that that's going to be something that you put into your game, you're just putting bad stuff into your Mm -hmm. game. Yeah. So don't. Yeah. Yeah, Bad is not a design choice. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a gross thing you did. Yeah. (laughs) The most important thing to remember is that, is that style by definition is, is actually just the choice about what you're taking away from reality. So if you're starting at a place where actually you can't put much in, you guess what? You already got a style going on. <laughs> it's accidental, of course, because it's based on your constraints. But most people's style is based on their either their own personal limitations or uh, something that they've grown to just be using as a shortcut. So in our case, with you know, we use black lines for everything, uh, and it's because I find it way easier to draw things when I have black outlines on them. Yeah. There's nothing. There's doesn't really get much better than that in terms <laughs> of like a stylistic choice. But I figured out over time how to make it look good. If you look at some of our previous stuff, it doesn't look good. And even though it's using the same, the exact same mechanisms, even the exact same shapes or colors, uh, it doesn't quite do it. And so it's just about recognizing what your what those constraints are that you're embracing. Whether it's okay, you know, in this case, we're not doing any black outlines, we're not doing uh, like depth of much sort. We're just going to do basic colors and basic shapes. Uh, you can make really beautiful stuff out of that. So it's it's just about developing an eye and then starting at that foundational level and and going from there. I think. Well, and also let. Let your because you you can make the game however like however, you're saying I want to make an RPG which doesn't mean anything really correct um, it means but, it has potentially has some kind of power progression right system. but the problem here is that probably you're thinking this means that I've got to have swords I've got to have goblins I've got to have like mm-hmm. all the classic you know RPG elements um, when you can let the the restrictions on your art 
inform what this yes. thing actually is. So so while it might be rooted in RPG mechanics, it doesn't you could you don't have to have any swords in there at all, right? You don't mm-hmm. have to have any of that kind of stuff. And if you do, it can be very abstracted. Um and I mean so, you could even make a, qu- a game called like, you know, Triangle Quest. Yeah. And like you're a triangle and like the triangle tribe is being oppressed by the circle people mm-hmm. or, yeah. or, or whatever. Yeah. And of course, like all of the, the spells or the abilities that your character has, you're just, you're just like out. shooting shapes out, like <laughs> yeah. you're just shooting triangles yeah. at, at rectangles. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot you can do there. And in fact, I think by embracing the constraints and letting that, letting that permeate, not just like, Oh, my art is this way. Right. But because my art has to be this way or I want it to be this way, let me have that inform the design of my game. Can you thematically join it with yeah. the mechanics? Yeah. Or the, because that's actually how you make original stuff that nobody else has made. Yeah. I would look at maybe – so yeah, Thomas was alone. Great example. Mm-hmm. Um, but also note that that the design of that game is great. Uh, UI design, the way that they convey the narrative, the way that they convey like just the, the cleanness of the font mm-hmm. and how minimalistic things are. Well, the reality is the the uglier your game, the more or the or the less visually developed your game, the more it has to rest on the design. Yeah, that's just how you have a balance. It can't there. just be bad at all. Yeah. <laughs> you, ha- you, you have, have to compensate. To be well, it's kind of what we were talking about with Donkey Kong. Like again, I think from a visual standpoint and overall sort of vibe standpoint, I don't think I've seen anything as good as that from a platforming standpoint. It's not Take very good. Honestly, like, I'm not super into it, but. But I stuck around for like four and a half hours. Because you just liked looking at it. Because it just I felt the so same cool. about uh, Trine. Yeah. Which yeah. is like, it's fine uh, in terms of its gameplay. Mm-hmm. It has some cool, interesting mechanics. Um, but, but it's so gorgeous. It's, it's, it's not very long and the puzzles are actually not that hard. Uh, uh, but it's beautiful. I mm-hmm. felt like every 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 shot of the game, I felt like I could have just taken a screenshot, framed it, put it on my wall. <laughs> you know? yeah. And that's actually why I bought it. I was like, I don't even care how well this plays. Mm-hmm. I just want to look at it yeah. more, you know. So uh, you got to know where your strengths are, play to those, figure out how to compensate for your weaknesses. Yeah, just, just don't get caught in the trap where you're like, oh, I'm going to just do my best to make a sword. You know, like don't get caught in that trap. Do you need it only worked for Minecraft. You're not. It's one and done. It's that was an outlier. The universe got its Minecraft out. Uh-huh. That's done now. Yep. Nobody else gets to do that yep. again. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I think that's all the time we have. We'd like to thank our producer, Fat Bard, for making us sound good. Thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. If you'd like to get more involved in the Butterscotch community, you can hop into our Discord server, which you can find at discord.gg bscotch. Also, if you'd like to adorn your body with Butterscotch merch like t-shirts, stickers, mugs, pants. We don't have pants. Working on pants. Are we working on pants? We have pants. We have pants. <laughs> some of you have pants uh, also if you'd like to send us something you can send us pants or whatever by heading over to mailbox.bscotch.net although, although I don't want any pants so please don't I could use some pants if you just if, if pants show up do you want to list your sizes then so that people know I want people to guess okay <laughs> <laughs> if you go stretchy then you're more likely to get you know an accurate leggings we're gonna get a bunch of leggings get a bunch of, I'm a, more of a jiggings kind of a guy mm-hmm. but you know I'll take I'll take whatever uh, free pants. Is jeggings leggings for jogging? I think it's leggings that have look like they're jeans. Okay, that works too. They have like a jeans pattern mm-hmm. on them. Uh, also, last but not least, if you would like to buy us a cup of coffee, you can support the podcast over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye.